0: Earlier tonight, a sad little clown committed suicide here in the swamp. Now his ghost rises from the corpse to direct these four people and the macabre man-thing in a kind of autobiographical drama with the swamp as the stage and his soul the price of admission. Hello everyone and welcome! to the nexus of all realities, a Man-Thing podcast. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, your guide to the weird, the wacky, and the often wonderful of a 70s swamp-based monster comic. Today on the program, Man-Thing number six, and When I Died. A conclusion of sorts to the saga of Daryl the Depressed Deceased Clown we began last episode. But first... I want to thank everyone who sent in their comments and well wishes and messages of support on Twitter and email and other social media outlets. You guys have been great putting up with all my randomness and such, uh, and I really appreciate all the nice things you said about me and the show. Perhaps one day I will tell you the story of why it's been so random, but for now, it will have to suffice to simply say thank you. Also, uh, a little housekeeping. I will be moving the podcast feed to a different URL. So there may be some disruption. Uh, Not sure, really. Uh, It's just one of those things where I started the podcast on a different website and I've just left it there. I've been reluctant to change it because I'm of the mind that if something's working, don't break it. But there comes a time when you just got to roll the dice, bite the bullet, use a cliche, and just go ahead and update stuff. Uh, So depending on my skills, there may or may not be problems. Uh, If there is, this is why. If there isn't, well, ignore this, I guess. Okay, that's out of the way. Let's do this.
1: Power Records presents Man-Thing.
0: That's right. We're going to talk a little bit about Power Records. Uh, I promised to do so last time, and I'm going to right now. Uh, (laughs) Let's set the stage a little bit. In the 1970s, I had a portable record player. It was made of plastic, and it was bright yellow. When it was closed, it looked like a square suitcase with a little handle on top for easy transportation and metal clasps on either side for security. When you opened it up, in the top half was a built-in mono speaker, which I'm sure was of the utmost audio quality that only a child's plastic toy could provide. In the bottom half was the turntable itself with the stylus on the right side and a button for switching the power on and off, and a knob that could change the speed of the turntable from 45 to 33 to 78 revolutions per minute. One of the more enjoyable aspects of this speed knob was to randomly change the speed of a particular record while listening to a song or story, making it sound either like the chipmunks or the teachers from Charlie Brown. This was a source of endless entertainment. (laughs) It ran on either a power cord or on batteries. However, if you chose to use the batteries, it would drain them rather quickly. Seemingly, to me at least, almost instantaneously. And things would... Slow down. So I usually just use the power cord. Now I have to tell you, I understand I'm about seven or eight years old, possibly nine. I have to tell you that I had a very impressive collection of 45s. You know, if I say so myself. I had all the classics. I had your Hello Mudda, Hello Fada," Flying Purple People Eater, Bird is the Word, and of course the Witch Doctor, which includes that immortal phrase, oo-ee, oo-ah-ah, ting-tang, walla-walla-bing-bang. Can't go wrong with something like that. Yeah, I think I had all one really needed as far as music was concerned. (laughs) Actually, no, to to be quite honest, I had real music as well. Uh, I wasn't a, you know, complete loser. Uh, I had Beatles and Stones and Bowie, glam in general. Actually, it was I was real big into glam at the time. T Rex, the Hoople, and such, but Bowie especially, because because well, I mean, he was a spaceman playing rock and roll. It doesn't get much more awesome than that. By far, though, my favorite record that I owned, and don't judge me here. I was like I said, I was like eight or nine. It was, of course, Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. Yes. Listen to it over and over again. Couldn't get enough. It was sad. It was poignant. It was set to a catchy, upbeat tune. I loved it. And you know what? I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it proud. I still do. It's a great song. It never gets old. And, and the sheer poetry of the thing. I mean, we had joy. We had fun. We had seasons in the sun. And the stars that we reached were just starfish on the beach. Oh, the 70s. The age of the singer-songwriter—we shall never see its like again. <laughs> but I, but I feel I've strayed off topic. There is one last thing, though, about "Seasons in the Sun" that I want to mention. There is a musical transition that moves the song from verse to verse. It's it's a short little guitar riff that goes, you know, dum 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 dum. That sound always reminded me of uh, of book and record sets because. On those, there would always be this musical cue to indicate when you had to turn the page as you were reading along. Uh, and that's what that always sounded like to me. The, the Seasons in the Sun little guitar riff always reminds me of a book and record set. Seasons in the Sun, book and record set. New from Ronco. Uh, speaking of book and record sets, I own several Power Records adaptations at the time. Boom! Brought it back to topic. I am really good at this. <laughs> so... So what is Power Records, you might be asking yourself? Well, I'm going to tell you, right after the break.
1: Adventures into the unknown. Tales from the crypt. Skeleton hands. The haunt of fear. The vault of horror. Adventures into terror. Strange tales. Uncanny tales. Journey into Mystery. The House of Secrets. The House of Mystery. The Phantom Stranger. Doctor Thirteen. Doorway to Nightmare. The Witching Hour. Strange Suspense Stories. Worlds of Fear. Chamber of Chills. Terror Tales. The Beyond. Tomb of Terror. Weird War Tales. The Twilight Zone. Creepy. Dark Shadows Vampirella The Haunted Tank The Heap Eerie Swamp Thing Weird Mysteries Tomb of Dracula Tales of the Unexpected Werewolf by Night The Demon Man Thing Monster of Frankenstein Brother Voodoo The Son of Satan Night Force, The Living Mummy, The Sandman, Tomb of Darkness, Evil Ernie, Saga of the Swamp Thing, Flinch, Hellblazer, Thirty Days of Night, Preacher, The Walking Dead. What do these titles have in common? All of them, from Adventures into the Unknown, to Tales from the Crypt, to the House of Mystery, to the Tomb of Dracula, may be found in the Long Box of Darkness. I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me every Monday night for a journey into comic book horror as we delve into the secrets of the Long Box of Darkness. So listen if you dare, puny mortals, to the Longbox of Darkness, available on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. And check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. Good night and pleasant screams.
0: As I recounted last episode, I bought the comic Night of the Laughing Dead at the Bazaar of All Nations. But I bought the Power Records adaptation of that story, or actually it was bought for me, if you want to be specific, at Two Guys. Yes, that's a real place, or it was at one time. Two Guys was a department store chain in Philly and New Jersey that was started by some men. Can't remember how many. It was It was distinguished and remarkable for a few reasons. One, it had a great toy selection, full of Mego dolls, and it sold comic books on spinner racks. Just great stuff in that toy section, as I recall. And two, it had skee ball. Yeah, skee ball. Instead of video games or pinball, it had skee ball machines, and you could re- and you could redeem the tickets for toys. Cheap plastic toys, but toys nonetheless. And they gave away free popcorn. I think. I might be misremembering that part, but I'm pretty sure they gave away free popcorn as you were leaving. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty much the perfect department store, really. Also, come on, can you think of a more Philly, Jersey-sounding name for a place? Hey, we're just two guys. We got a store over here. Hey, it's fine. You can come and shop if you want or not. No big whoop. We're just two guys, you know? Hey! <laughs> so I got my Mad Thing power record set at two guys. Uh, remember Man-Thing? This is a podcast about Man-Thing. Now, to talk about Power Records, it was a really unique thing. It started as Peter Pan Records. Well, well, to be precise, it is Peter Pan Records. It's it's a label of Peter Pan Records. And Peter Pan Records made its name by doing mostly recordings for children. Children's music, specifically. And they had several labels that this material was produced under. It was Spinarama, Pirouette, Mother Goose Records... Diplomat, Humpty Dumpty, Rocking Horse Records. In the 50s and 60s, Peter Pan was the largest seller of children's music around. That was its heyday. So moving along into the 70s, the company started to do spoken word stories, nursery rhymes, fairy tales. Peter and the Wolf, for instance. And these proved to be very popular, so, uh, so the company eventually acquired the rights to do more spoken word dramatizations for cartoon properties like the Flintstones and Bugs Bunny and others. This again proved to be very, very popular, so that led them to acquire more rights to to other properties, like popular movies and TV shows, and of course comic books. These properties were aimed at older kids, your ten, twelve year olds as opposed to your very, very young kids. And so a new label was added to the to the company power of records now the truly amazing thing about power of records was the diversity in its titles aside from the marvel properties and there were there were many they also were doing dc titles that in and of itself is impressive i mean think about one company producing stories from marvel and dc simultaneously it's not something something you typically see but other than the comics, they were also doing adaptations for movies and TV shows, like I said, like, uh, like Star Trek and Planet of the Apes, Six Million Dollar Man, The Lone Ranger, Space 1999, and Kojak. If you don't know what Kojak is, that was a primetime police procedural starring Telly Savalas as a gruff, streetwise, lollipop-sucking detective who isn't afraid to bend the rules or cross the line to get results. You know, like all the kids were into. These were, as I said, book and record sets. Uh, thus the tagline, Power Records, where the action comes alive as you read. And these were these were just a lot of fun. They were simple, but pretty fateful dramatizations. I mean, obviously there were changes made, uh, some edits and occasionally revisions to the plot to make the stories fit into one telling. For instance, the Man-Thing story, Night of the Laughing Dead. Uh, the comic itself concludes with an open ending, leading to the second part that we're going to discuss here today the power records version needs to wrap the whole thing up so it gives it a nifty little ending and a kind of a hopeful ending in a creepy sort of way but for the most part the power records adaptations were remarkably close to the text and the production values were pretty decent i mean obviously these things were low budget affairs but the voice talent was good they were the sound effects were 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 interesting. It was atmospheric. The music was was you know appropriate, and overall, like I said, it just extremely entertaining. In fact, this era of in this era of podcasting mania, where everyone has a podcast or two or four, the Power Records style would fit in rather nicely. If this were being t- done today, I'm sure they'd have a Patreon and be selling spots for pop up mattresses. I personally remember having several of the Marvel titles. uh, Not just Man-Thing, but Captain America and Hulk. And they also did several of the Marvel horror titles, like Dracula, Werewolf by Night, and Frankenstein. In addition to this, I I also remember having uh, DC titles, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. Uh, But of course, I didn't like Wonder Woman because it was for girls. Hey, I got a secret just between you and me. I actually really liked the Wonder Woman story. But don't tell anybody, because boys aren't supposed to like that girl stuff. Yeah, the seventies. We had um issues. Anywho. I also you know, and I also remember having Star Trek and Planet of the Apes as well, because they were hugely popular and great. So I, I mean so I remember having a a pretty decent collection of these things and, and just love them. As for the Man Thing story, God man I love that record. It was, as I've mentioned, based on Night of the Laughing Dead, and boy howdy, it freaked me out. And it was, I think it was the voice of Daryl, the ghost clown, that did it to me. Uh, I mean, I listen to it now, I have an mp3 of the story right now, and as I listen to it, you know, older, it seems kind of silly. Daryl's voice, I mean. But for some reason, some reason as a kid, that voice scared the crap out of me. You know, I would listen to that story on that little yellow record player, and I would hide... Doctor Who style, behind the couch. You know, just in case an actual ghost clown was conjured up from the depths of hell while listening. It it could happen. Also, fun fact, the narrator of that story was Peter Fernandez, the voice of Racer X from Speed Racer, which is, of course, very cool. Now, Peter Pan Records is still around, although, alas, no more power records. Uh, Currently, the company is still producing children's music and various collections of instrumental-themed albums that are, uh, interesting. (laughs) One of the series is called Sensuous Sax, that is passionate saxophone music that I assume is played in the background of really lame porn. Uh, Seriously, it's the type of music that Kenny G would hear and say, yeah, that music has no edge to it. As far as the Power Records stuff is concerned, uh, due to copyright issues, none of it has been re-released in any other format. I would love to get a pristine digital version of Night of the Laughing Dead or or Captain America, which was another story I really liked. Well, you know, anything, really. There are low-quality versions out there to hear, several on YouTube or and, and other places. And I would definitely recommend giving them a listen, because, like I said, they're really, really fun and vastly entertaining. And if you can get your hands on a 7-inch, 45-rpm disc version, I highly recommend listening to it on a yellow plastic portable record player. Because trust me, it adds to the experience. Now, let's conclude the story of a depressed deceased clown, shall we? Man-Thing number 6, And When I Died. Cover dated June 1974. It was written by Steve Gerber. Art by Mike Plug, Inks by Frank Giaramonti. Colors by Petra Goldberg, lettered by John Costanza, edited by Roy Thomas. Deep in the swamp, a supernatural pageant is beginning. Daryl the Ghost Clown has gathered our heroes and villains to witness and participate in a trial for his everlasting soul. In addition to Man-Thing, also present are Richard Rory, Ruth Hart, Isla, the high-wire artist, Trag, the strongman, and Mr. Garvey, the circus owner who has inexplicably survived a fiery crash from last issue and stumbled in upon the proceedings. Each person will represent individuals from Daryl's past in a series of scenes replaying his life to three judges, shadowy, hooded figures who watch with dispassionate eyes. In flashbacks, we learn of Daryl's unhappy early life, Although raised in a wealthy family, Daryl was unloved. And as he grew, he became more and more distant, until in an act of desperation, he joined a circus and for the first time, learned to make himself happy by making others laugh. This was not to last, however. He was to learn of the circus owner and the performer's betrayal. They were just using him for his money. Despondent and depressed, Daryl made his way into the swamp to end his life, leading to the events of Last Issue. Hearing the story, the judges, who are revealed to be representatives from heaven, hell, and the realm between, they deem the clown unworthy of existence, and so he is sentenced to be removed from existence completely. Manthing, however, having played the part of Daryl's inner demon, has felt the true nature of his soul. Conflicted as it may be, he knows there is good in Daryl, so he finds himself disagreeing with the ethereal bureaucrats, and fighting ensues. But just as it begins, Isla steps forward to end the madness. She explains that it was she who is to blame for not being honest with Daryl, for not being strong enough to tell him she loved him. Hearing her words, the cosmic representatives are moved and they depart. But before they go, they gesture to the body of the clown, whose expression has changed from a look of sadness to a smile. And as Manthing walks off into the swamp, Isla says these final words. I'm looking, I'm just not believing. His expression has changed, he's... smiling. Do you suppose they finally understood that a man who can inspire laughter and joy is the holiest man of all? The first thing... I'd like to point out is that this comic was aimed at children. Comics in the 70s, the primary audience was kids. Uh, Yes, adults read comics, and yes, college students read comics, but they were not the target demographic. Something like Man-Thing and other monster comics in general perhaps were geared towards tweens, although that wasn't a term back then, but you know, your 8-12, 13 crowd. Still... It was a younger audience, and the comics code was still in effect, so the themes presented in these comics were usually of a lighter fare, uh, and the more adult ideas toned down. That's why it's stunning that this comic exists. At least that it exists the way it does. This issue of Man-Thing is essentially a metaphorical representation of existential dread. It examines through fantastical elements and allegory the idea of a damaged psyche, of how Past trauma and alienation led to disillusionment, depression, and ultimately self-harm. It's not your standard fare for your average children's book. But this is Steve Gerber doing what Steve Gerber does best. Now, I've mentioned on the program many times that he is a writer that was not content doing standard comic book stories. He wanted to explore different aspects of the genre, like the nature of superheroes or what it means to be a hero. And he incorporated racial and political and social ideas into his stories. And his storytelling technique was pretty radical for the time. Typically, uh, he he would tell these stories by adding fantastical and wacky elements that subverted the tropes and cliches in comics of the time. And I think that when most people look at Gerber, they tend to latch on to that aspect, the silliness and the craziness. Perhaps they overlook the deeper ideas he was trying to get across this issue in this in this issue he seems to be putting away all pretense of doing a standard man thing comic and he decides to simply explore an issue that he is obviously has an affinity for or at least an interest in and he does this in an avant-garde Samuel Beckett style play now I know <laughs> I know that may sound a little pretentious, and you might think that I'm projecting too much onto a comic book about a swamp monster, but hear me out. This issue, when you look at it as a standalone piece, it's a it's a prime example of Theater of the Absurd. Think of this as a one-act play using mythological motifs to express larger themes. The events and characterizations of the previous issue are essentially jettisoned. All of that was merely pretext to get us to this stage, literally this stage, because the setup is a play. This is exactly what you would expect to see in a 60s Greenwich Village independent playhouse. You got a, a bunch of surreal elements in place here. There's a three-ring circus, a, a ghost clown mournfully lamenting his own existence, obscure hooded figures sitting in judgment, and characters losing themselves to play physical embodiments of repressed trauma. And in this play, Daryl, the clown's soul, is on trial. His whole existence is put into question. And by extension, we are meant to see the whole of human existence being judged. And as is typical for the theater of the absurd, the soul, human nature, human existence, is found to have no meaning or purpose. It's not worthy of salvation. It's not worthy of punishment. It's not worthy of redemption. The judges, who turn out to be representatives of religious theological ideas of heaven, hell, and purgatory, of good, bad, and indifference, in the end, the human soul is deemed not even even worthy of being ignored. The only thing that the human soul is meant for is annihilation of non-existence, to be snuffed out and removed from the world as if it had never been created, banished to the void for all eternity. That's some heavy stuff. But Gerber's not a nihilist. He is not content to end as cynically as that. Daryl's soul is saved, and he is saved in a very Gerberian way. He is saved through the empathy of others. Firstly, there's Isla, who, who pleads on his defense. She knows that he was not perfect, wasn't always good, but not always bad either. Humans are complicated, nuanced. There are no binary categories that one falls into. It is all a conflicting mass. And she, realizing her own conflicted nature, takes the blame for Daryl's failure. In doing so, she proves that, that in the end, human beings are worthy of redemption. Human nature is one of forgiveness and self-sacrifice. And of course, there's Manthink himself, who also plays a role in Daryl's salvation. In the flashbacks, we see Man-Thing as a representation of of Daryl's soul itself. The embodiment of his mind, his psyche, his emotions. And this is a perfect metaphor for his soul. Daryl's soul is large, lumbering, and full of unpleasant things. His soul is mush and muck and grime. But also, inside, he is caring and kind, full of empathy and the ability to feel what others feel. This is Man-Thing in his most basic role, a conduit to understanding another. And it's because of this, because of empathy, and understanding, and forgiveness, that Daryl, the sad clown, the embodiment of the human soul, eventually finds peace. Not bad for a kid's comic, huh? (laughs) So that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening, and I'm glad to be back doing the show again and getting overly philosophical about a swamp monster. Uh, It's just something I really, really like. (laughs) Uh, Next episode, it won't have as much personal anecdotal elements. I'm going to uh, go back to just being distant and aloof. (laughs) But I have to admit, I've been enjoying reminiscing about stuff, so I can't guarantee that it won't pop up again from time to time. As always, I value your feedback. I would love to hear what you think, and, and just to get your ideas and maybe start a conversation about some of the things I've talked about. So, leave a comment on individual episodes at nexusofallrealities.com and send or send me an email at comments at nexusofallrealities dot com, or hit me up on Twitter. That's actually a great place to get to me. Uh, to get to me, it's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> anyway, my Twitter handle is at nexus of all. Uh, thanks again, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening uh, as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. I'll be back again in two weeks time until then. See ya. You've been listening to the Nexus of all realities, a man thing podcast. The Nexus of all realities is a daddy Elf production, man thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel comics and no infringement is intended. The show could be found on iTunes, stitcher and Google play. And if you head on over and leave a review, I'd appreciate it and I'll be your best friend. You can contact the show via email at nexus at daddyelk.com or online at nexusofallrealities.com and leave a comment on individual episodes. You can also connect with the show on Twitter, at Nexus of All. The Nexus of All Realities is for entertainment purposes only.
2: Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained?